Our scripture reading is from Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So now our Father and our God, your people believe that you've spoken these verses to us today. We believe they are always true, they're always good, they're always right, they always do their work, but on this day, in this place, we're praying that your Spirit would take these words and work them deeply into our minds, to our hearts, to our lives, to who we are, and that we would see Jesus. But I know flowing in today, there are the weary and the weak. There are the hurting and the broken. There are the afflicted. There are the doubting. There are the unbelieving. There are those stuck in sin. There are those who can't get out of their own way. And for all of us, Lord, would you today show us Jesus? Would you show us that he's the way? He's the truth. He's the life. He's the power. He's the hope. He's the strength. Our endurance comes from him. God, would you give your people endurance today? God, we know there are people in this room who may be far from you who may be distant and separated. Lord, today, would you show Jesus? And would you, by your grace, would you cross the chasm and draw folks near to you? Lord, my plea would be that not a single person would leave here today without having seen Jesus clearly and powerfully and be moved by him. Lord, this is our prayer. So pray you would do it now. In Jesus' name. We believe you are able, Father. Would you work? Amen. If you haven't already, I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Hebrews in chapter 12, which is what Dylan just read for us. Uh, Here at Redeemer, we're starting a new sermon series. It's called Out of the Shadows. That's also today's sermon title. And we're going to be studying the book of Hebrews, which means we'll start in chapter 1 next week and we'll work our way all the way through, probably 15 to 20 weeks of Hebrews. My job today is to convince you that we together need Hebrews, that you need Hebrews, and to convince you to dive in with us. So you can assess me later and let me know whether I accomplish that or not. But I'm really praying that the Lord would say, take up this book and read it. Take up this book and believe it. Take up this book and pray differently. Take up this book and live differently. Take up this book... And see Jesus. That's what I'm praying. And so we've chosen Hebrews chapter 12 verses, Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. Because in many ways these two verses encapsulate the whole book for us. And so I want to use that as a way to summarize the book and a way to invite you in. And so what I want to do is I want to, we have three points in our sermon today. I want to have an introductory point to call you into the study. And then I have two points from Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, that kind of summarize the whole book of Hebrews for us. 
But here's the point. The point is, we all need Jesus. To see Jesus clearly. To believe in him appropriately is to follow him. And that's what we need. Hebrews was written to give us that. And so I want us to want Hebrews. So the first point. Again, this is a long introduction looking for justification. So I gave it a number, which means I can spend as much time as I want, right? So the first point Thinking is good. Thinking is good. And some of you are like, oh no. Oh no. The Lord in his wisdom has created two types of people in the world. There are those that follow their minds everywhere. And there are those that follow their feelings everywhere. And all the husbands and wives are like nudging one another. Here's the thing. For whatever reason, this church is inappropriately filled with the thinking people. And like, we don't feel anything, ever. <laughs> so feeling folks, we're glad you're here. We need you. Don't run away. We need you to like be leaders. Because God made both of us. He made those who feel and those who think. But guess what? People who think first still have feelings. And people who feel first still have brains. That's how God made us. And we need the whole thing. Okay, But here's the really important point. The really important point is both thinkers and feelers need theology. Both thinkers and feelers need truth. Because without truth, we have no foundation. And without truth, our faith is not built and Hebrews is 13 chapters of dense truth. It's going to require our brains, but I promise you, it is worth it. And so what I'm pleading with you today is don't run away from the hard stuff, but lean into it, believing that, that as we swim through the hard stuff together, we'll see Jesus. And seeing Jesus is where we get life and joy and power and endurance. So I'm calling for your brain. I'm calling for your mind. I'm calling for you to read willingly and pray willingly and follow us into the book of Hebrews. I want you to believe that it's worth it. So I'm going to stand up every Sunday for the next 15 to 20 weeks and I'm going to talk. But I don't believe that that's going to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. You know, God can do whatever God wanted to do. Whatever he wants to do, however he wants to do it. But what the book of Acts shows us, and what we believe deeply here at Redeemer, is that when God's people, and God's word, and God's spirit come together, crazy good things happen. God's people, God's word, God's Spirit. And so what I'm trying to do is not say, hey, this is what we're going to talk about on Sunday. What I'm trying to do is say, people, let's go to the Word together. Let's pray for the Spirit to work together. And let's believe that in doing that, crazy good things happen. So I am asking you to come each week and engage with the book of Hebrews with us. Every Thursday, our team sends out an email and a Facebook post that says, here's the passage for Sunday. So, prayerfully read it. But here's the other thing I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you if you will read the book of Hebrews once a week with me for the next 15 to 20 weeks. 
Well, you read the book of Hebrews once a week for the next 15 to 20 weeks. You could read three chapters a day, four days a week, or you could read four chapters a day, three days a week. It's crazy how math works. See, I'm a thinker. But either way, you get through it. You could also do six chapters two days a week or two chapters six days a week. I'm not even really into prescribing it. I'm just saying, would you believe enough that when God's people and God's word and God's spirit come together, crazy good things happen? So much so that you'll say, yes, over the next 15 to 20 weeks, I will read Hebrews once a week with you. And I can hear you already, but I'm already in a Bible study. I don't care. I'm asking for an hour of your time. I'm already in discipleship group. We're having to memorize all of Ephesians 1. I'm not really, I don't really worried about that. I'm asking for an hour of your time. But I already teach Sunday school. I know I'm asking for an hour of your time. I think in one hour a week, you can read through the whole book of Hebrews. And I'm just saying over the next 20 weeks, would you give, not me and not this church, but would you give the Lord one hour a week reading the book of Hebrews? And I believe that crazy good things will happen. Here's the other thing we know about human nature. We learn in layers. We learn in layers. So the first time you set out to drive, I mean, it was a train wreck for all of us, right? And now you just go get in your car and you start it and you drive down the road without even really thinking about what you're doing because you're texting and listening to a podcast and waving at people all at the same time while driving because driving no longer requires thinking for us because we learn in layers. And so the first time you read through the book of Hebrews, week one, you're going to be like, man, I don't understand any of this. And, and then the second time, a few things are going to click. And then the third time, a, a few more things are going to click. And then the fifth time, a few more things are going to click. And then the 15th time, all those little things that you didn't understand, you had to think about, they're all going to click now, and you're going to go, oh my goodness, I see Jesus everywhere in this book, and he is good. And so, like, I don't believe that I'm gifted enough or winsome enough to change your life, but I believe that God will, and I believe that the more we immerse ourselves in his word, crazy good things happen. So I'm asking you, come and listen. I'm also asking you, would you commit to join me in reading the book of Hebrews once a week for the next 15 to 20 weeks? Now, I don't want to insult your intelligence and ask you to get out one of those cards and write, I commit on the back and drop it in the offering plate, but if that will help you commit, write, I commit on the back and drop it in the offering plate, and I'll reach out to you in some way. But I'm pleading with you. Let's believe that, there's a, that this book is good for us enough that we'll go to that level. Now, you might ask, what makes Hebrews difficult? What makes Hebrews difficult, what makes it require our minds so much, is it's missing a lot of context. We're not given much context about the book of Hebrews. And here's what I mean. Most books of the Bible, we can say, this person wrote it, in this time period, to this group of people who were going through this and struggling with this, therefore, we have a great understanding of why the author might say this. Does that make sense? In the book of Hebrews, we're not really given any of those things. Who wrote it? It's a great question. Some say Paul, some say Barnabas, some say Apollos, some say someone else. It's a great question. God did, but who penned it? I, we don't know. To which church was it written? Good question. Exactly when in the life of the early church, you know, between the death of Jesus and, and about the year 100, was it written? That's a good question. So when we don't have context, we have to dig our minds deeper to try to figure things out. Does that make sense? So let me, let me see if I can illustrate this for you. 
I did this in the first service, and literally four hands went up. It was nuts. Who's lived in Hendersonville for more than 10 years? Can I see your hands? Hold them up high. Okay. Maybe my illustration will work this year, okay, <laughs> or this service. Keep them up, keep them up, keep them up, because I'm talking to you for the next few minutes, okay? So I want you to go to my house and turn on the crock pot. Keep, keep them up, keep them up. There's only a couple minutes here, okay? I want all you guys to go to my house and turn on the crock pot, okay? So what you're going to do is you're going to turn right here on Bonita. You're going to go to the old Walmart. You're going to hang a left. You're going to pass the old jack-in-the-box. You're going to come to the new funeral home. And at the next red light, you're going to hang a left. Then you're going to take the first left. You're going to fall it around to 213. The side door is unlocked. You go in and turn on the crock pot. All you guys with your hands in the air, you got it? Can you get there? Closely. Why? Because you have the context. You know where the old Walmart is. You know where the old jack-in-the-box is. You know that the current funeral home on Main Street is not the old one, but the new one, because the old one got torn down about seven years ago, right? Like, you know all the context, therefore, my directions make sense. Now, all you guys who had your hands down, you got any clue how to get there? No. What that means is you could still get there, but you need more thought, more help, more prayer, more reading, more time and attention, right? And so what I'm asking you to, what I'm telling you is Hebrews is going to take more time and attention than, say, Ephesians. But it's just as truthful, it's just as good, it's just as right, and I'm asking you to go there with me, okay? But here is what we learn as we dig through the 13 chapters of Hebrews that tell us it's worth it. What we learn is, is the author of Hebrews is writing to people who have a history of faithfulness to Jesus. So he's writing to a people who have a history of faithfulness to Jesus. And he's writing to a people whose faith is facing new challenges. So this book is written to a people who have a history of faithfulness to Jesus. And he's writing to a people whose faith is facing new challenges challenges. Now, I think that just catapults the book right into, look, we don't need, like, we're not entering Hebrews because there's some huge glaring error at Redeemer that needs to be cleaned up. We're not diving into Hebrews because there's some huge glaring mistake that we're all making. We're diving into Hebrews because the book is written to take those who have a history of faithfulness and help them be faithful during difficult times ahead. Seems a bit apropos, right? Here we are. So thinking is good. Hebrews is good. God's word is good. I'm asking you to come and listen, to read and pray, to dive in with us, okay? Now, what's kind of the main thrust of the book of Hebrews? I chose chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, because I really do think it it summarizes in a beautiful way the whole book. Um, So the... The first thing we see, and this is the second point if you're a note taker, endure the race. The book of Hebrews calls us to endure the race. And what I mean by that is is the author of Hebrews makes a metaphor where he's calling a life in Christ a race. And the, the imperative, the action, is to endure to press on intently, to exert great energy to pursue glorifying Jesus in this life. We're being called to endure the race. So look, look, chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, 
All therefores in the Bible are not there for the same reason, in spite of a cliche that you've perhaps been told. This, therefore, really serves, in my estimation, as a hinge for the whole book of Hebrews. Because in the 11 chapters before, you have these circular arguments about, well, you need a messenger, Jesus is the better messenger. You need a deliverer, Jesus is the better deliverer. You need a, a high priest to represent you before God, Jesus is the better high priest. You need a priest who does not die, Jesus is the better priest who does not die. And, and pay, you, you need a history of people who have followed God and been blessed in doing so, here's a whole line of them. And then we come, therefore. So really, you have 11 chapters of Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the answer, Jesus is the answer. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that refers to all the people referenced in chapter 11 who came before Christ, who joyfully followed after God and God's Savior in faith and were blessed. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So the exhortation is to run with endurance the race that is set before us. The race that's set before us is a life following after Jesus. The command is to actively pursue Jesus. Run! And to do so with endurance. Not losing heart, not losing faith, not losing hope. So what this book is shouting is a life following after Jesus is difficult. Like you weird people that run marathons for joy, like that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about me and Scott Hall setting out on a marathon. Run with endurance. Yeah, man, I'm tired before I get to the end of the driveway. That kind of race. That should at least get an amen. But anyway, that's the kind of race he's talking about. And so Paul, I mean, not Paul. Paul did not write Hebrews. I don't think that at all. Freudian slip. No, not. Never mind. It doesn't matter. The author of Hebrews... I'm just going to collect myself. This sermon is becoming a race that requires endurance. Okay. The author of Hebrews is saying that a life in Christ is a race that requires our endurance. And friends, we just need to own up to that. Jesus did not come, live, die, and rise again to make us love life in this world. He came and lived and died to promise us a, a world that's not broken and cause us to long for it. But for some reason, Western Christians are looking for the perfect little sliver that gives us perfect contentment and happiness now. And that's never the goal. The goal is Jesus. And we're fickle enough 
that if everything was right now, we wouldn't want Jesus anymore because we would be contented and fat and happy, metaphorically speaking. But the author says it's a race that requires endurance, and I'm calling on you to run it because it's worth it. Now, Christians, in our kind of evangelical circles, we're really afraid to talk about effort. Because we say things like, I could never earn God's favor. That's truth, because the Bible says so. And we say things like, apart from Jesus, I'm dead in my sins and I can never please God. That's true, because the Bible says so. But the Bible also says that if you're in Christ, you've been made alive. You're not dead anymore. And it says the Holy Spirit dwells within you, meaning you have a helper. And Jesus said, if you would come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and what? Actively follow me. So we are on good biblical grounds, rooted in grace, rooted in sovereignty, rooted in justification, rooted in total depravity, and we can still say, Christian, take up your cross and follow Jesus. We can still say, Christian, exert great effort to be like Christ. We can still say, Christian, make it your goal to pursue Jesus and be willing to sacrifice and exert energy for it. As much as I believe in a powerful Holy Spirit, I don't believe that a closed Bible is ever really going to help you that much. It's just an example. We're called to take it up and read it, and the Spirit meets with us there. So let's not let our theology of God's sovereignty God's providence, God's power, and God's grace make us uncomfortable with New Testament passages that say, by God's grace and through faith and for His glory, exert great effort to pursue His Son. Let's not be afraid of those. Because when we get afraid of those, we slip into lethargy and we slip into passivity and we'll find ourselves far from Jesus. If you struggle with that, we can meet this week. If you struggle with that, I would just challenge you to go read your New Testament and count how many times Christians, saved by grace, are called to do something actively. And let's put those things together. So this author says, let's, let's purpose to run a race for, with the goal of endurance, meaning I will get to the end. By God's grace and for his glory, I'm not quitting till I get to Jesus. That's what we're called to. I wish I could say that I planned ahead enough to preach the sermon the day after the Music City Marathon, but it's just a total, humanly speaking, a total accident. But did anybody here run yesterday? Oh, good, keep your hands up. This is hands in the air day here at Redeemer. I mean, I'm guessing if you actually trained for yesterday that there's no way you were going to stop one mile before the finish line, right? Like you would have crawled, you would have run barefooted over hot coals with people shooting arrows at you to get to the end, right? Right? Runners in the back, apparently all the out-of-shape people, I'm going to have to come over here. We all sat over here today. Um, right? Like nothing was going to stop you from getting to the end because you put so much energy in that, right? All right. Jesus 
left eternity, lived and died and rose again so that we would get all the way to the end with him. Are we going to stop? Are we going to stop? Hebrews says, I can help you run the race. And that's why we want to read it. Now the passage also tells us, the book of Hebrews gives us two things that make our race difficult. Two things that make our race difficult. The first, the first is suffering, oppression, Suffering and oppression against Christians from outside the faith. Suffering and oppression against Christians from outside the faith. The author says that's real. He says it's present and coming for those in the book of Hebrews. Past, present, and future. And he says it makes them need endurance. To that, all the Christians say amen. All those people persecuting the church, boo on them. They make our lives difficult. Here's the other thing that he says, though. He says our sin, which is still present in our lives, makes our walk with Jesus burdensome. He says the sin, which is still present in our lives, makes our race difficult. Run with race the endurance that's set before us. I'm sorry, go back. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. There's no mixing of the metaphors there. What this author is saying is that Christians still have sin in their lives. It's close. And that sin is a weight that makes a life of following Jesus difficult. So often if we're weary in our faith, we want to blame someone else. And some of you have been hurt, you've been wronged, you've suffered much from outside, and it is not wrong to point those things out, and I'm not pointing any fingers at any of you today, okay? But many of us want to look outside for someone to blame when the burden is actually the sin that we're trying to make peace with in our own hearts. I said it this way this morning. You guys have had a little more time to reflect because you've been here a little longer. But if you snapped and yelled at your children in the car on the way here this morning. By the way, I use this as an example because I drove here by myself. But if you snapped and yelled at your children in the car on the way here this morning, we as parents are so quick to say, but you made me do it. No, he didn't. They may have pushed your buttons and they may have gotten you angry and they may have gotten you flustered, but they didn't make you do anything. Our sin takes root and it lashes out and then we look for someone to blame. This says, wake up and realize that our sin is a part of the burden that makes this life difficult. Not the totality of it, but a part of it. And just like Christians in our circle struggle to talk about effort and grace, we struggle to talk about sin and grace. We struggle to say, but I thought Jesus paid it all. He did. I'm not saying God's going to hold you eternally accountable for that sin. 
But I'm saying that sin makes this life difficult and it steals God's glory now. And the Bible makes room for both of those categories and we need to make room for them as well. Hebrews is going to say, turn away from your sin. Turn to the Savior. Christianity is a race of endurance. Okay, pastor, where do I get the energy for the race? Second point, verse 2. Look to Jesus. So if you're taking notes in the sermon, that's the third point. Look to Jesus. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Here's what this author is shouting to us. Look to Jesus. The race is toward Jesus. The race is for Jesus. The race is powered by Jesus. The race is strengthened by Jesus. And every step from here to the end was purchased by Jesus. The race is all about Christ. Look to Him. Don't look to your sin. Don't look to others. Don't look to your suffering. Look to Jesus and let Him be the Lord over No matter how real your sin is, no matter how real your suffering is, no matter how real your hardship is, fix your eyes on Jesus. That's the call of this passage. We're told that Jesus is the source of our faith. He's the founder and perfecter of it. We're also told that he's the model of our endurance. We're we're told that he endured life and shame by setting his eye on what he knew was coming. By the way, there's a nice little aside there for us. Let's remember that Jesus leaving heaven and coming to earth and living and dying for us was not barrels of fun and joy for him. It wasn't a weekend at Disney World. Or actually, maybe for a parent, it was a weekend at Disney World. Anyway, um, it was hardship. It was suffering, but he endured by Looking to the goal. And the goal that we set our eyes on is Jesus. And here's how Hebrews is going to make this point to us. It's going to say, hey, you need to hear a message from God. Jesus is the better messenger. Hey, you need a deliverer to deliver you. You thought it was Moses, but Jesus is the better deliverer. You need a high priest to represent you before God forever. You thought it was the line of Aaron, but Jesus is the better high priest. You need a sacrifice to pay the penalty for your sins. You thought the blood of those goats and lambs was going to do it every year, but Jesus is the better sacrifice. You needed a priest who would live forever. You thought maybe it was Melchizedek, but Jesus is the better sacrifice. Melchizedek. What the book of Hebrews does is it goes back into Judaism. It goes back into the Old Testament. And it does this thing where you go back and you swim through and you come out to see, oh, but we needed Jesus. 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 And what you see is that from the beginning of time, Hebrews is going to show us that from the beginning of time, God has been setting people up to see that we need Jesus. So that Jesus, when he came, would be the glorious answer to it all. 
So Christians, we find strength, endurance, power, joy by looking to Jesus. If you're suffering much today, look to Jesus. I don't say that in some passive, wipe it under the rug and act like life's not hard kind of way. I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But he can sustain you in a way that no human can. Look to him. If you're stuck in your sin today, you don't have to stare at your sin. Look to him. He'll deliver you. He'll forgive you. He'll help you. Look to him. Every page of Hebrews says, look to Jesus. Now, by way of conclusion, is there anyone, this is my, my last show of hands today, I promise. Anyone here considering going back to Old Testament Judaism? Temple sacrifices, the whole bit? Anybody? Okay, I didn't think so. The book of Hebrews was written to some Christians who were maybe considering going back. So while we read about messengers and Moses and high priest and Melchizedek and offerings, we might go, oh, that's cool how Jesus is the answer. But the original recipients of Hebrews, they were going, oh, wait, I shouldn't go back because all that pointed to Jesus, right? So as we read that, our Bible knowledge will go through the roof. But we also need to ask ourselves, I'm not tempted to go back to a temple that doesn't exist and offer annual sacrifices for my sins because I know Jesus did that for me. So the question that we have to wrestle with as we read the book of Hebrews is what subtle replacements for Jesus are we willing to settle for? Because really the book was written to say, don't settle for any subtle replacements for Jesus. So just to make everybody uncomfortable, can I attack one of those? We all are prone to settle for the gospel of suburbia. The gospel of suburbia says that if we'll live in the right place with the right amount of yard, not too much and not too little, but just the right amount and the right amount of bedrooms and the right exterior on our houses and the right school system so that our kids can go to the best school and get the best grades and make the best ACT score and be on the best sports team and have the best batting average and be the captain of the squad and get the full ride to wherever, we're told that this will satisfy our souls and bring us eternal joy. And you know what? It's a lie. And on some level, we who live in Hendersonville are all prone. And Gallatin, you're guilty too, and Westmoreland and White House. We're all prone. To settle for some false savior all around us. So whatever yours is, as you read the book of Hebrews, wrestle with this question. Where am I tempted to settle for a replacement to Jesus? I'm pleading with you to believe that the book of Hebrews is going to speak much truth to us. I'm pleading with you to believe that Jesus indeed will help you and redeem you and save you and sanctify you and give you life and energy and power and hope and vision and direction. I, I believe it, and I want you to go on the journey with us because I think we'll see God do crazy good things when his people and his word and his spirit come together. So our Father and our God, whatever's been said today that's right and true and good, take it and apply it to the hearts of your people. Lord, I know there's a lot of delicate nuance in how some of these things 
are applied today. So God, you who are the shepherd of your people and you who would not crush a bruised reed and who would not snuff out the flaming wick, I pray that you would gently shepherd your people, but yet I pray you would guide us to where we need to be so that we would have our eyes freely and joyfully fixed on Jesus. Pray you would do this, Father, today in Jesus' name. Amen. Each week here at Redeemer, we follow Jesus and his commands by taking the Lord's Supper. And so we're going to take a piece of bread which symbolizes his body broken for us and a cup which symbolizes his blood poured out for us. And as we take them, what we're declaring is we need Jesus and he's our answer. We, we, we declare, we look to you, Jesus, help us. So here at Redeemer, we invite anyone who is a Christian, anyone who has professed faith in Jesus for salvation and made that known to the church, we invite you to take the bread and the cup with us. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, we don't want you to feel excluded. We don't want you to feel left out. But we would ask that you let the bread and the cup pass. And rather than than participating in something that's not true of where you are, we would ask you to do this, to consider the question, how do I respond to Jesus? And if we could help you wrestle with that question, help you answer that question, we would be delighted to do so. So these guys are going to sing. Some folks are going to come. They're going to pass the bread and the cup. I'll come back in a few minutes, and we'll take them together. And you're invited to sing along with us as well.